Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bécher, meaning digger. Hello, Cricket Badgers everywhere. Welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. And you'll probably note it's not been long since the last one. And that's because I have nothing to do. And I am sat at home twiddling my fingers and thumbs and toes and everything else and wondering what to do with my life. And therefore, you'll probably find that there's going to be quite a few Cricket Badger podcasts over the next month while the coronavirus hits us isolated and away from live sport, which I am missing massively get such a buzz out of doing commentary and covering sport for a living and all of a sudden all of those avenues have been denied me. I noticed at the weekend as well that so many people that are in similar boats to me but also supporters, where is the sport, what am I supposed to do with my Saturday and various other things were coming out on Twitter and on social media and that led me to start thinking well a good topic for a Cricket Badger podcast is what do we do when sport doesn't exist anymore, which is where we are, I'm afraid, in the world at the moment. And I thought, what better man to join me on the Cricket Badger podcast to talk about that subject than Simon Hartley, psychologist, the founder of Be World Class. He's worked with cricket teams, sports teams, individuals across sport, with businesses to try and get them to maximise their potential because the mind is such a huge part of sport. You get to a certain level of professional sport and there's little in terms of talent between people and what you do with the mind in certain pressurized situations tends to decide who are champions and who aren't and Simon has a big part to play in that in his work so on this week's on this week's on this cricket badger podcast because weeks don't mean anything anymore podcasts will come and go when I get them recorded I've got a few up my sleeve I'll give you some information about who is coming on the podcast over the next couple of weeks at the end of my chat with Simon Hartley. 
But for now, let's talk about what we do in a world where sport does not exist anymore. How do we cope mentally with the fact that sport has disappeared off our calendars? What fills the void? On this Cricket Badger podcast, my guest is Simon Hartley. It's that Badger style. A pleasure then on the Cricket Badger podcast to welcome back Simon Hartley, the founder of Be World Class. Psychologist Simon, I, I mean, when I think of you, I always think back to Adam Live, the Yorkshire opener, and you were credited to a large extent of helping him break into the England Test team at one stage. But the world of sport and the, what we've been dealing with over the last few days has changed the landscape, Dad, hasn't it? Yeah, it certainly has. Uh, I mean, th- there's an awful lot of people who have experienced an awful lot of change in a very, very short space of time, which is always going to be a challenge. Yeah, um, I'm, I remember very fondly back to those uh, those days at Yorkshire Cricket as well. Uh, fantastic time. I, mean, I, I spent uh, kind of trying to fill my time at the moment. There's a day to this podcast going to come into a big kind of counselling session for myself, and I'll try and avoid that. But the, um, <laughs> the um, my, yeah, my work's totally disappeared over the last few days because sports grounds are hold. And I was looking on Twitter at the weekend where a lot of people were saying, you know, if you're not a sports fan, this is your this is your life, and what do we do? And starting to really struggle to see where they're going to go with their days because yeah, whereas Saturday will be either watching the football or going to the football or following sport of some kind, all of a sudden those avenues of enjoyment have been denied people, and that leaves quite a big void, doesn't it? It absolutely does, yes. And I was reflecting the other day on how athletes often experience the same sorts of things when they get injured and and particularly when they get a long-term injury and their approach to it their mindset around it makes a massive massive difference one of the guys i worked with years ago uh, was a swimmer guy called chris who was based in the northeast of england and i remember when he got injured um his training cycle just to give you a bit of context was normally around 13 weeks so so it had 13 weeks that would lead into a competition uh, so the autumn cycle led into competitions around Christmas time and then he had another cycle that led into about Easter and then the big cycle kind of leads into the summer where most of the major competitions are Olympics, Commonwealth, you know, Europeans, Worlds, all, all those sorts of things. And he was in a cycle, uh, he got injured very early on in the cycle and I think the physios told him that he couldn't train for something like 8 to 10 weeks out of 13. And that moment initially, you know, your sort of initial reaction to it is geez, the world's going to end here. This is devastating. And it took a little while for him to get his head around the fact that, and and he and I sort of describe these sorts of setbacks in retrospect as opportunities in disguise. There is actually an opportunity here, but you have to look for it. Otherwise, you don't see past the disguise that this is just a setback and it's just terrible. But actually, if you look really carefully for it, there's an opportunity here. And I think with these sorts of experiences, if you can approach it almost by thinking, if it wasn't for this event, I would never have dot, dot, dot. And we started to view his injury in that way. You know, if it wasn't for this injury, I would never have dot, dot, dot. And and from the outset, we were looking at what can you gain from it? How can you emerge from this stronger and richer as a result of having the injury? Um, What are the sorts of things that you've not really been able to do, which you've now got time to do? And getting his head around how to use this. And, and to squeeze as much benefit as he could from it. And that's a really different mindset than, than many people when they go into an injury, many uh, athletes that are going into an injury. They're just seeing this as a negative experience, uh, hoping that it will disappear, hoping that it will be over as quickly as possible and not really seeing it for what it could be, which is a massive opportunity. 
And in the example there of, of the swimmer, what, what did he do to, what opportunities did he seize upon? So he, he started to understand, when we flipped the question from what can't I do over to what could you do, um, he started to understand that there were lots of skills that he hadn't been he would almost describe it as, I, I haven't got time for these, or he hadn't had time for these, in amongst that, that busy training schedule. And whilst the physio said you can't swim for eight to ten weeks, they didn't say you can't go in the pool. So we started to talk about the kinds of skills work he could do, and one of those was sculling. Um, and if you don't know swimming, it's where you keep your body rigid and, and just use your arms and hands as paddles. And he said, I... I I haven't really had time for sculling, but it's an incredibly important skill. So from his point of view, this was an opportunity to reconnect with, as he called it, reconnect with my paddles, really discover how to move more effectively through the water and work on the, the subtle skill, but also to start working on his flexibility. When we looked at his performance, in order to get quicker, he needed to take a degree out in his hips, and that degree was causing him drag. So we need to flatten out his hips so, there's no, so that we streamline him and so that there's no drag. Again, that's not something that he found a lot of time to do during the normal course of his training, but actually he's got the opportunity now. Um, and it was working with a physio that we really started to look at how you can use physiotherapy, stretching, Pilates, yoga, you know, all of those sorts of things, not just to heal this injury, but also to start working on your performance. And it gave him a completely different perspective on how to, uh, how to not just overcome, but maximize, you know, really optimize these sorts of challenges. I got a tweet the other day from a guy who basically said, I mean, he's covering a similar line of work to me, but he said he felt like he was in mourning because yeah, basically yeah. all of his work had dried up and he felt like he'd been sacked from a job through no fault of his own because the work was, you know, the, the events that he was going to cover were just not there anymore. And he felt like he was in mourning, that something had died and he just didn't know what to do with himself. And mm. I guess, you know, there's, there's probably, in various kind of different kind of walks of life around sport, there's probably a lot of people in very similar situations to that. I mean, if we start with the players, I mean, you've, you've obviously worked in cricket. I've worked in cricket. We, we, you know that the players have very set timescales of how they approach the season. They'll come back into training at a certain date in the winter. They'll start to ease themselves up through the task until they get into the nets, and then they'll try and get their fitness to, a, to the right kind of level so that when the season starts, that they're able to cope with the stresses and strains of the summer ahead. So everything's programmed and calendared in there. So... They are ready for that first game of the season, knowing they've got that fitness base and skill base that they've prepared over the winter, so they're ready to go through the summer. And all of a sudden now, I mean, we, we don't quite know what cricket's going to do yet, because in terms of the English domestic season, they've not made any firm decisions on start dates or any postponements yet in terms of the season. But there's every potential that cricketers have set themselves to be ready for the start of April for the cricket season. And all of a sudden, it might go back into June or July before they can actually get onto the green stuff and start playing. So that, that is a challenge, isn't it? It's a massive challenge, yeah. And I think there's, there's a couple of bits to this. Um, I think that the reason why some people have almost like a grief experience is because uh, there's so much meaning that's locked up in, in their work. You know, they invest so much meaning into their work and derive so much meaning from their work. And so to take that away um, leaves them with a real hole. 
this is this is why I think they find it difficult. This is why um, you know athletes often experience depressive sy- symptoms when they become injured because an awful lot of their life's meaning is derived from playing this game or or being an athlete, and that's a major challenge. Uh, it, it's one of the reasons when when I work with athletes, I'm very conscious that your life has to be more than just the sport. You know, your life's got to be broader and richer than just the sport because inevitably, I mean, with cricketers, if we take cricket as an example, over the course of a 15, 20-year career, you can almost guarantee that you will have some major setbacks. Whether that's an injury, whether it's loss of form, whether you get dropped, it, it could be something in personal life. I mean, if you think about all that stuff that can happen over the course of 15, 20 years, parents could become ill, somebody, somebody close could... Uh, close to you could become diagnosed with something nasty it's all likely to happen over the course of that stretch and you have to be resilient enough to come through all of that without experiencing a huge knock the stability that you get in life is to have um, what i call a broad base if like life equals sport and sport equals life or in in work if life equals work and work equals life and something happens to disrupt work or sport whatever it is then life's hanging on a thread it's fragile and and we need more meaning in life than just that because you know the the world dictates that things happen like coronavirus that can that can seriously affect it so um so yeah that i think is why people experience a, a, a sort of a real grief response to this it's even more important at the moment given my own precarious employment position with no sport to commentate or write about i am looking for a cricket badger podcast sponsor please 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 help out the podcast help me out and come on board with your business i can get you in front of the cricket world plenty of people listening to podcasts at the moment with no live sport to descend upon with their eyes or their ears so please 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 help out the cricket badger podcast come on board contact me cricket badger at hotmail.com or contact me on the twitter at cricket underscore badger your help would be hugely appreciated by the cricket badger listeners and we could help each other out in these troubled times i guess what we're talking about is identity isn't it how you how you see yourself as a person and most of us we are what we do for a living you know if you start to if you ask at a party who are you what, what do you do that's the first question isn't it and then you tell people what your general day-to-day existence is so if you're I mean, we, we talked about Adam Live. If you're Adam Live, you'll say, well, I'm a professional cricketer. If somebody asked me the same question, I'd say, well, I'm a, I'm a journalist broadcaster. You'd say, I, I work as a, a psychologist and, and, and deal with athletes and, and businessmen. When that's yeah. taken away from you, it's, it's like when you, you see stories of sportsmen retiring. A lot of sportsmen, when they retire, they have real difficulty, don't they? Because they, all of a sudden, they've gone from being the guy that everybody's applauding every week and screaming out when they scored a goal or when they've got a century to being the person that used to do X, Y, Z. And that is a, a, it's a difficult thing to cope with, isn't it? And I guess, in, in a way, during this coronavirus suspension of sport, we're all, in, in our own respect, kind of semi-retired at the moment, aren't we? Completely. And you're absolutely right. Identity is absolutely at the heart of this. And, and how, we, how we derive our self-worth is linked very, very closely to it. So if, if I identify myself as an athlete or a sports journalist or whatever and I can't do that, my identity takes a real hit. But also if I derive my self-worth from it, you know, I think I'm good because I'm a good athlete or I'm a, 
you know, successful, whatever it is in, in my professional life. If you take that away, lots of people have almost stood kind of looking at themselves thinking, well, what am I good at then? Am I any good at anything else? You know, if I can't do this, how do I feel good about myself? So it is a massive, massive challenge. And, and if, we, if we're locked up in that, we might struggle to see those opportunities that come with it. And, and, and that's, that's part of the, um, I think, the challenge that most people have. Well, I, I said on, on Twitter yesterday that I've, I've set myself tasks during this, this difficult time of not having any work to do and potentially no income coming in, um, of trying to keep myself busy and trying to do other stuff. I've set myself the task of doing two Cricket Budget podcasts every week instead of one. Um, which will obviously fill, a, fill another part of the week. But I've, I've had inside my head, and I guess this goes back to your swimmer in terms of, you know, I've never had time to do certain things. And at, at the moment, I've got plenty of time on my hands. And I've had this stage play in my head, going through my head for a while now. And mm-hmm. I, I did a degree some years ago in creative writing and got quite into script writing and never really had the chance to do anything about it. So over the next few weeks until sport recommences I'm going to be writing that stage play just to keep myself busy because that's important isn't it just to keep yourself occupied and keep yourself ticking yeah and, and I think you're absolutely right the being occupied is great when it's meaningful then you really start to fill the void this is where I think you, you also understand the power of the opportunity when you do something that's really meaningful I, I can remember years and years and years ago um, I was looking at my workload and, and I had three months that were pretty light and one, one of the thoughts that went through my mind is I can I can just go away and kind of scrap around and, and see if I can pull up you know pull in some work the other thing that went through my mind is you know I've been thinking about writing a book for a long time I've got these three months where I can see enough time to actually get started and get this done you know it was that period between sort of September and Christmas and I decided that's what I would do I would invest that time and use the opportunity to write the book that I said I would be, you know, that I wanted to write for years. And that was my very first book, my first published book. It it's made such a difference to my professional life. And if I hadn't have made the, that decision um, and taken the opportunity that was there, I would never have written that book and probably never written the subsequent books. So I think you, you're absolutely right. This is one of those where you could genuinely look back and say, if it wasn't for this this event... I would never have done X or I would never have done Y. And if it's really meaningful to you, then it's worthwhile investing into it. Um, if, it's, mm-hmm. if you're doing stuff just to keep busy, I, I suspect you won't actually um, feel any better because there'll be a part of you thinking you're just treading water, you're just wasting time here. You know what well, I'll, I'll give you an example of that, Simon. I, I spent uh, a couple of hours yesterday tidying my flat up and cleaning my flat, thinking, well, it hasn't been cleaned properly for a while, so let's have a good clean of it. And I didn't feel any better at the end of it. I had a clean flat, but I, I didn't really achieve too much in my, in my personal existence. And that's when I started thinking, I need to do something proper here. I mean, both of our examples have been around writing, but I guess anybody listening out there, it could be building your own shed or it could be doing something that you've been meaning to do for a while but just never had the opportunity to do. It doesn't have to be pen and paper, does it? No, no, absolutely. It's got to be meaningful to you. If we go back to Chris, the swimmer, you know, he was investing his time into something that he knew was genuinely going to contribute to his performance. He wasn't just doing the sculling work to keep busy. He was doing it because it was going to improve his skills. Um, it was the same with the, the yoga, the Pilates, the stretching, um, you know, all that mobilization work. He was investing himself into something meaningful. Um, that was going to propel him forwards. And, and that's the opportunity that we have. I mean, I've been talking to corporate business leaders as well, 
about that stuff they never seem to have time to do. And bizarrely, even for you know C-suite executives in big corporates, they will say strategic thinking time is, the, is one of those things that I never seem to get round to, I never seem to have enough time for. Well, why don't you invest some time now into strategic thinking? You know, you, you've got that opportunity. Use it. It's valuable stuff. There's often a, a real difference between what's really genuinely important and the stuff that's urgent and, you know, jumps up and down in front of us and grabs our attention. And, and sometimes the important stuff is the stuff that we don't get round to. So, okay, let's drop the excuses. You've got time now. Lots of those meetings have been taken out of your diary. Go focus on the strategic stuff. Actually give that the time it deserves. So that there are always things, and you're right, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be pen and paper writing, but if you take a moment or two to think, what's that really, really valuable stuff I could be doing right now, then your, your brain usually points you towards the valuable, meaningful stuff. You made me think then of when I used to work for Yorkshire County Cricket Club, because everybody used to assume that uh, we were busy in the summer, and you basically just hibernated through the winter. But all of that strategic thinking, the meetings, the planning for the next season, all of the um, ideas that you have for websites and for magazines and in, in, my, in my role, but in other people's roles, different things, all happened in the winter because you actually had the chance then to do things properly. And if you worked hard in the winter, it made you the subsequent summer so much easier because you were prepared for it. And uh, you're right, you know, in, in businesses and things like that, this is a, it's a really good opportunity, isn't it? Getting back to the cricket, Simon, if you're a county cricketer at the moment, and say, I mean, this is a stretch of imagination, everybody, everybody knows that I'm a badger, not a player, but the, um, <laughs> if I came to you and said, I'm, I'm preparing to play for Gloucestershire this, this coming summer, and everything's up in the air, Simon, how do I cope with this, Simon Hartley? Can you help me through this period? Because I... I I've got myself fit. I'm raring to go. I had a good season last year. I want to build on that, but I've got no idea where the season starts. What, what would you tell that player? I think it would be a case of uh, looking at those things that would really, really improve your performance. And it, it, it might be that at the moment you are really fit. Okay, fine, you need to keep your fitness. Um, but it might also be looking at some of those skills that, if you, you know, if, if somebody said, we're going to give you an extra, magically just give you an extra two weeks of training, what would you do with them? And, and if you start thinking about how to elevate your performance, what you could be working on, then all of a sudden you see those opportunities. And actually, you know, what, I think one of the, one of the um, tensions in cricket at about this time of year is that the players are absolutely sick of being indoors. They just want to get outside and they just want to start playing. And there's that sort of almost impatience and frustration. But if you start thinking about if, if everybody's going to push the season back, you know, if the season's going to get pushed back by two, three, four weeks, whatever it is, or even a couple of months, everybody's going to be pushing back. How can you make sure you get more out of this time than everybody else does? Because some people will just tread water. They'll just tick over. They'll do maintenance stuff. They, they don't want to lose their fitness and they don't want to lose the skills they've developed, but they won't actually genuinely move forward during this period. You could. So how can you come out of this next two, three, four weeks or two, two three months even better than everybody else um, and, and start working on that? Because actually if you, can, if you can really invest yourself into that, you will get far, far more out of the time than everybody else does. I was thinking as well, if we look at the worst possible case scenario, if the coronavirus really does bite, if the government takes action and they've already talked about effectively quarantining over 70s for four months in, inside their own houses, if, yeah. if that doesn't totally work and, and the coronavirus really does hit this country, 
somebody said to me the other day, you know, we're looking at possibly even three months before we see the peak of the, the virus. And then there's probably another three months on the back of that where, where, where everything settles down again. Mm. In that scenario, that, that's potentially the whole of the cricket season gone. I, I imagine that if I'm a player and I'm thinking, I've only got a finite career here. I've only mm. got a certain amount of time at my peak to really show people what I can do and to make my name and to be successful. That yeah. would be... I mean, we talked about sort of like a mourning, but you'd be, you'd be mourning the loss of a year of your career effectively, wouldn't you, potentially? Yeah, potentially, yeah. Um, and, and this is where I think your perspective and your approach to it makes all the difference. A few years ago, I, I worked with a, a footballer, and he was coming up to the end of his contract, and he was injured. And as he looked at it, he was thinking, I'm not going to get enough time on the field to prove myself to get a new contract here and and it was a from his point of view it was all doom and gloom and we looked at it we had a conversation we said honestly if you have two or three games and you're absolutely on fire what are your chances of getting a new contract and he said well pretty good actually you know I, at least i'll have given it everything that i've got uh, and i'll come out saying no regrets because you know I, I i he had a broken leg he, there's nothing he could have done about the injury so the club might take a view and say he came through his injury, he was brilliant for the three games he came back, there's a contract. They might not. You can't control that bit. But what you can do is come back and say, no regrets, I did everything I possibly could. He did have three games at the end of the season, and he was absolutely brilliant because he used his time well. Not only did he get offered a contract by that club, he also got transferred to another club on pretty decent money, uh, in a higher league because he came back and he was absolutely brilliant for three games. And one of the myths, I think, uh, in sport is, you know, you, you need a whole season. Well, you take as much time as you've got because you can't necessarily decide exactly how many games, but make sure you're brilliant, uh, as good as you can possibly be for those games and you'll give yourself the best chance. And if everybody misses a season, everybody misses a season. Um, you know, if, if we don't play cricket this summer in this country, we don't. Your job really is just to be in the best possible shape you can be mentally, physically, skills, tactics, everything, so that when you do take the field, you can perform at the highest possible level. That's all you can do. And if you do that, you give yourself the very, very best chance. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. The listenership is going up every single week. Thanks so much for your ears. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you for your likes, your subscribes. It's on every platform around the world. So make sure you listen. Tell your friends and contact the show too. Let us know what you think. Give us your ideas for future shows at cricket underscore badger on the Twitter feed. Cricketbadger at hotmail.com on the emails. Thank you so much, Badgers. Keep listening. You mentioned the word, or you used the word there, control. And Jason Gillespie, I mean, you may even have fed him this, this line, but he always used to use the phrase in interviews, control the controllables. Um, yeah, you yeah. know, you can't do anything about the weather, that kind of stuff. There's certain things that are out of your scope of control, and you can only really look after the things you can influence. And it's really a case of that, isn't it, this summer, that, you know, the coronavirus, none of us can really affect it at all. It's going to do what it's going to do. We can only just look after what we can look after. Absolutely, 100%, yeah. And it was a huge part of um, the the sort of mindset that we were wrapping around Yorkshire cricket at the time. And, you know, the, uh, control the controllables is, is a fairly well-used phrase. 
within sport psychology and coaching but actually living that is very different lots of people say it but then they really struggle to live it and one of the things that that Jason and I were really conscious of is that we genuinely lived that and you know you have to pull back out of the outcome and start really focusing on the processes in order to do that really appreciate the processes and even though even though you know it it's not always easy to do and to keep forefront uh, you know keep that at the forefront of your mind and that was one of the switches that we uh, particularly in my first season when we won the first championship um, we were really conscious of doing you know it was one of those those absolute sort of pillars on which we were trying to build everything going away from the professional side of stuff and going away from from guys like myself in the media your general public who have bought their memberships for cricket and they're looking forward to a summer in the sunshine and and talking to their mates and catching up with people they've not seen all winter because they they sit in the same stands and they they talk to the same people every summer and Mm. they plan their trips around the country they've got their hotels booked and and now are kind of maybe struggling around to try and work out if they can get refunds for those hotels you know there's there's a whole whole set of people there that almost devote their summer to following cricket and when they're not doing that they're turning on the telly and watching Joe Root leading out England in the test matches and, and yep. just living cricket for the entire summer. It's going to be a massive culture shock there. And yeah, but that, that's people's escape, isn't it? You know, you, in life, you need an escape. You need to get out of that normal kind of humdrum existence and, and just get away from it and just think about something completely different for a while. There's mm-hmm. a danger, isn't there? And not just with, with sport, but, you know, rock concerts, going to the theatre, if those yeah. things are shut down to us, there's a danger that we could become quite isolated and, and lacking that escape route. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, I think the knowing that we can't control that and we can't just you know click our fingers and have things the way that we want them to be, I think we have to start looking at alternatives. Um, what could you do if you weren't following cricket all summer? What could you do? What could you do that would be meaningful? What could you do that would... Actually, it would be different, for sure, but it doesn't have to necessarily be lesser. I think there will be an awful, awful lot of things that start to emerge, real positives that start to emerge from all of this. Already I'm seeing that in many communities there's far, a far greater sense of community spirit. It's not, it's not quite kind of uh, bunkered down World War II mentality, but there are people who are really focusing on helping the community um, you know, being aware of the people around them. In some cases, they, they don't really know the next door neighbour or the person that lives across the street, but they're starting to now because, you know, they're putting leaflets through the door saying, if you're elderly and you need some help buying groceries or, you know, if you want us to pick up some hand sanitizer, or if you can get your hands on it, toilet roll, although, you know, that's uh, becoming increasingly difficult, you know, just give us a call. There's already starting to become... Um, I think, a much greater sense of community. I think it will be only one of the positive things that emerges from all of this. And I think, you know, when people start to look at the alternatives, okay, fine, I can't go to cricket anymore, what could I do? It might well be that these, you know, uh, people start connecting more online with each other. Maybe that's a way that ultimately helps them bridge loneliness better. They've built a community that they can now access online. If, so, yeah, if we'd had this conversation in 1992 or something like that, Simon, it would have been a different conversation, wouldn't it? Because an isolated person living on their own in a, in a flat, 
with no internet, no Twitter and all the rest of it that we, we kind of take for granted these days. That's only yeah. a relatively recent kind of introduction into our society, isn't it? So it, it, yeah. it potentially does make those lockdowns or something a little bit more tolerable. Yeah, I mean, I, I know my um, my parents who are sort of uh, late, late 60s, early 70s um, are in a little village in Somerset and they've got a Wi-Fi club. Um, which they hold in the local village cafe, and it's it's helping people who are probably older than them, most of them, sort of in their late 70s, 80s, and even early 90s, to use a use a computer or a tablet or whatever to connect with relatives that are not local around the world somewhere. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of revolutionised their lives, and and I think it is a huge there is a huge potential to battle loneliness by using these sorts of technologies. You're right. Rewind us back even 10 years and the, the the opportunities to connect are a lot less and and i think yeah if it, with the rise of communities the rise of online connectivity i think we will just find different ways around it human beings are, are actually incredibly adaptable and I, and I think sometimes we wait for necessity to drive that adaptation rather than you know actively driving it but uh, but yeah i suspect there, there will be an awful lot of positives that come out of it if we look for them and that, that's the that's the big if we look for the opportunities and approach it with a slightly different mindset. I think there's, there's a, an awful lot of positives that could come out of this. My dad's in his 80s, and I got a friend request on Facebook from him the other day. He'd never been on Facebook at all. I think my mum has basically cajoled him into actually going on because she's probably fed up with him looking over his shoulder at pictures and stuff. But the, uh, you know, things are changing dramatically, aren't they? I, I saw as well, I mean, I've never, I'm always amazed at people's creativity in times mm. like this and I mean it's only a kind of small example but Noel Fielding the comedian was running an art competition on his Twitter feed the other yeah. day he was, he was asking people to draw pictures on a certain theme send them into him and he was going to judge them and whoever won it would become uh, um, enrolled into his hall of fame or something into the art school that he was running started on Twitter but we're going to see things like that aren't we you kind of you talked about community spirit with your next door neighbor but effectively with the way social media and the internet is you can actually have a community spirit across countries can't you you certainly can absolutely and you know we i've i've been very privileged to be part of a few over the years um some for entrepreneurship some that are sort of practitioners like i am sports cycle performance coaching practitioners and um and they're incredibly valuable communities they really are you know you you can connect closely with people build really good relationships without having to geographically be in the same space now so yeah i think you're right we we are a creative bunch but often we wait to be forced into it <laughs> and and this might be one of those occasions that requires that um you know it sort of forces the innovation and the creativity from us before i say goodbye to you simon is there anything that uh, you'd like to get out there promote publicize there's uh, there's something actually i think that might be really valuable to uh, if if this resonates to, to anybody listening um we've just launched um uh, what we're calling the world-class mindset five-day challenge it's there to help people to develop mental toughness resilience tenacity composure the way they think and approach challenges and also to become more focused confident motivated so it's it's a real sort of uh, mindset development uh, program and you can get started on online it's it's free to get started um, and uh, I've just put the banner up on our on the home page of our website uh, with the link on it to take you through to the challenge uh, so it's www. 
b-world-class.com. It's certainly going to be interesting time, Simon, over the next, uh, well, I was going to say weeks. Hopefully it's not months, and certainly hopefully it's not years, but it's going to be a test of people. It's going to be a strain on people as a worry about people getting ill, and we're all obviously worried about our older relatives and, as well. But it's been a pleasure to have you on the Cricket Badger podcast this week. Simon Hartley, you stay safe and healthy as well, and good luck to you and your family through these trying times. But thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Take care. It's that Badger style. I hope you found that interesting. I find talking about the mental side of sport and obviously how to deal with the coronavirus and the lack of sport very, very interesting indeed. And Simon is always a fountain of knowledge on that subject. So check out his website, b-world-class.com. I'm going to tweet as well a couple of the links that he sent me as might help you through these troubled times but thank you to him for his time on the cricket badger podcast today and i promised you at the start of this podcast that i'll tell you a little bit about some of my plans for future podcasts i've been having a uh, war of words with don topley the former essex bowler father of reese obviously but don's a big advocate of the hundred thinks it's going to be the answer to all of cricket's problems i am as you know, the founder of Oppose the 100, so my opinions on the 100 are rather less positive. So we are going to basically get a Cricket Badger podcast together, myself and Don. We're going to get the boxing ring sorted out. We're going to put our metaphorical gloves on and we're going to thrash out the 100 on a future edition of the Cricket Badger podcast. Also, Luke Sutton, the former wicketkeeper batsman, Lancashire and Derbyshire. He's coming on to the podcast to talk about his time in the game, answer the Cricket Badger 20 questions, and to talk about his book. And a, a future edition of the Cricket Badger podcast will be Mark Elam, the former England Kent Nottinghamshire all-rounder, who's going to come on and talk about his life in the game. Those and many more editions of the Cricket Badger podcast are in the pipeline during coronavirus time. We're going to beat COVID-19 on the Cricket Badger podcast with some quality cricket chat. So make sure you come back and you join us for future editions on the podcast. Please like and subscribe. Leave some nice comments about the podcast so that other people can find it and enjoy it too. And thank you, Badgers, for your ears and for your nice comments that you've already left about the Cricket Badger podcast. And as I said last time, there's no live cricket to get you excited. I can't finish the podcast with saying there's loads to look forward to. Enjoy your cricket. All I can say is stay well, stay healthy and join me next time. See you soon. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.